So I don't know uh, the last time that someone asked you the question, what do you want? Or maybe that you've been asked that. Because when, depending on who you're saying that to or who's asking you, it can elicit a bunch of different feelings. I know if I, uh, sometimes it makes me nervous and frantic because I'm pouring over a menu and I'm looking at a restaurant, I'm looking for that adventurous option. You're like, finally, today's going to be the day I do it. And you've already asked the waitress to come back twice. You know, oh, can I have a couple more minutes? So they, they leave and they come back and you're like, eventually this is going to be rude. They have a job to do. So you, you panic and you say, ah, wings or ah, burgers and fries. You know, you just go back to, do you have a safety option at a restaurant? Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you've been there a few times, you have that safety option. You're like, ah, I'll just get that. Unless you're like my soon-to-be three-year-old son. We went to Olive Garden recently. The waitress came over and she's like, hey guys, welcome to Olive. And I think before she said garden, he's like, I'll take chicken nuggets and french fries. And uh, she was like, uh, okay, uh, how about something to drink? And he's like, oh, juice. And we're like, okay, uh, maybe we don't yell at the waitress. Uh, I don't think you're trying to yell. I just think you're speaking really loudly and you never said hello. So um, he wasn't mean, but, you know, we try to, try to work the manners in early. Uh, so depending on who's asking this question, it can make us think different things. Maybe in your group of friends or in your extended family, maybe you're the planner. Like if someone wants to hang out, does anyone feel like the, the burden is always on you or, or in your relationship? I can already see people looking at each other. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes like if someone wants to hang out, you're texting a friend and you're like, all right, I've given you four options for a place to go to lunch or, you know, or we can hang out at night. You can come over. We can watch a movie. We can go to the movies. We can go to the park. We can go to walk. Just, just give me something other than the letter K. Like, you know, I, I need something that I can work with here. So, you, so eventually you find yourself asking, what do you want? Do, what, do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to hang out? Yeah, I want to hang out. Well, well you've you got to give me a little more than that. If you've raised kids for any time, and if you've raised them for 18 years or more, uh, just I'll talk to you later. Yeah, i got some tips I can get, any, anything you can give. Uh, but if you've been in, even, even if you don't have kids and you've supervised them for more than, say, three or four minutes, you probably have asked, what do you want? Yeah, as snot's running down and they're stomping on the floor and they're becoming hysterical and you're like, please, English, common language, like, I will help you, help you help, you know, help me help you, like, whatever it takes, I, I will help you. But we just really need to communicate. Or maybe you've been in an argument with, a, with your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and, you know, of course in these arguments, you're the cool, calm, and collected one, right? And you're asking, what do you want? Because remember, when you come to an argument, you know, you bring logic and you bring facts and you have reasonable reasons that you're upset, but the other person, no. They come with their irrational feelings. They, they, they didn't think through the situation. At least that's what we like to tell ourselves. And you're like, no, I, I mean, I have a flow chart. I have reasons I'm upset. And, and you, you're just spewing whatever you're angry about today. So, you know, maybe you'll find yourself saying, what do you want? <laughs> like, because again, you think that you have your whole argument figured out and it's just the other person who, who doesn't know what they want. So we often find ourselves saying, what do you want? And I think that's question, that very question, what do you want or even what do I want? is at the very center of why we're doing 21 days of fasting and prayer, which when I say that, you might be like, oh yes, we are doing that, and I forgot for this whole week. It's okay, you can, you can start now. Uh, you can go past the, 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 the we're, we're ending with a feast, but you can go past that. If you weren't here last week, Pastor Brian explained that. There's calendars on the back table. Again, you can start today, you can start tomorrow. Uh, there's different things you can fast from, and there's calendars there to help you. But the reason we're doing that is all about this question. Of what do you want or what do I want? Jesus in, first, or in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is doing his ministry. And John the Baptist has his own disciples and he's teaching them. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey guys, you know how you make a big deal about me and how I baptize you and you think that's really cool? Well, this guy Jesus over there, he doesn't baptize with water. He actually baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I'm not even worthy of carrying his sandals. And they're like, oh, that guy sounds so much better. So a couple of them run off to Jesus and Jesus turns to them and he says in John 1:38, what do you want? Depending on the translations, what do you want or what are you seeking? What are you looking for? That's what this fasting and that's what this season of prayer is about. 
And we can get ourselves into trouble if we, if we don't understand that question, what do you want? Because especially New Year's resolution time, and some of you might be like, New Year's resolution, those have been, those have been done for eight days. I mean, like, we're, we're, we're all past that. But in New Year's resolution season, if you're still in it, um, uh, if you're in it for the long haul, then uh, New Year's resolution is all about what do I want? You know, I, what, what I want to change in my life, you know, I know, my job, something, you know, in my family, something with my health, uh, something about in my, in my happy, and, and, you, and you ask, what, what I want, what does it take to get there? But the question of what do I want today is different. It's asking, what do you actually want right now? Day to day, hour to hour, life basis, what is it that you crave and that you want? See, something I've had to do in college and I've, I'll have to do as part of the ordination process with the Alliance is you have to do these time studies where you take a week or you take two weeks and it's kind of tedious, but you write down every half hour what you did every day. So, uh, you know, that, that, that gets kind of annoying. Excuse me. But at the end of the week, you know, you have to process what did I actually spend my time on? Because if I had a giant whiteboard up here and you had to come up and you had to write the 10 things that are most important to you. Like these are the 10 things or uh, five things or whatever that I want to spend most of my time doing. And you're like, mm, well, I don't know if I want to write my job on there, uh, if I can leave that off or not. But, but you write your five or ten things, then if I had you come back up next week or we put on the screen, you know, uh, that this, is, this is what Gracie, this is what Aaron, this is what whoever did for, for uh, this is how they spent their hours and, and how do they match up. Or this is what John did for, for a whole week. How does it match up to what his, he says is important? You do those time studies, and it's kind of scary, like, uh, the, the amount of time that, that we can maybe um, either waste, or maybe not waste, but just not really spend on what we would say is most important to us. So, we're talking about fasting, not just to deny ourselves something. And I don't know what you think when you hear fasting. I grew up, uh, I remember at grandparents' house when I was like 10 or 11, and Catholic traditions were pretty important, and it was, it was Friday during Lent. And lunchtime came around, and me and a cousin had some deli sandwiches, and then that was realized about a half hour later, and it was a shameful moment. It was like, you ate deli sandwiches. It's Friday during Lent. What are you doing? And I didn't know, like, really what was going on. I just knew that was bad. And, you know, so it's kind of like everyone puts their head down for a minute, and then you go on about your day. You know, you're like, ah, well, we'll get it next Friday. Which, there's nothing inherently bad with that practice, but there was nothing inherently added to the practice either. It was just denial for denial's sake. It was, if we don't eat meat or if we don't eat a certain thing on a certain day, we can feel better. We can feel happy. But fasting isn't some mechanical way that like, say you've been praying about something for six months and then and God's like, man, if you would just skip a meal or if you would just stop eating meat for one day, I'd answer this prayer. That's really all I'm waiting on. Like, it's not this mechanical way that we twist God's arm into getting something that we want. And just because maybe you've only seen it done in a legalistic way where it was just denial for denial's sake doesn't mean that it can't be a great thing. See, God's not impressed by denial for denial's sake. I think fasting is where we cease from something so that we can seek someone. So we are ceasing, whether uh, traditionally throughout history it's been food, and, uh, but we, can, we talked about last week how there's other ways that we can incorporate into fasting. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's entertainment, uh, maybe it's just trying to get less noise in your life for a day. We're so inundated with, with things, uh, with entertainment, noise, audio, and it's not always bad. I mean, I listen to podcasts a lot when I'm working, and I think I've become like the podcast guy to some people. Someone was talking about, someone would be like talking about like their vacuum not working. I'm like, well, I was listening to this podcast about James Dyson. And he was talking about when he invented the, the, the vacuum. And they look, look at me like, why? Why are you listening to podcasts about James Dyson and his vacuum cleaners? I was like, I don't know. It was interesting. And, and, and I just like to learn random things like that. And that's not bad. But we can fill every nook and cranny of our lives with so much noise and so, and so much that, that it's hard to seek. So when we talk about fasting, well, one, it doesn't mean anything if it's just without prayer. So if it's just denial for denial's sake, it means nothing. And it's ceasing something so that we can seek someone. It's saying there's no margin in my life, no area. Like I feel, maybe you feel like you fill every moment of every day. And again, it's, it's a lot of it's, it's not always entertainment, just responsibilities and everything that piles up in our lives. I mean, it, 
you only need to take a walk to Walmart to realize there's no more margin in our lives. You, you try to walk through the aisle and someone asks you about how much you spent on energy costs for the last three months. And you're like, please, I just want bread. That's all I want. I just want eggs. Like, I talked to you last time. I tried to be nice. You know, um, and, 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 you know and then you take, I know what, you probably do what I do. You're like, oh, I got to take that long route around when you get into Walmart. Or you walk into Walmart and you're like, they're not here today. This is great. And, uh, and so it's like, literally, even, even when you just go to the store, it's like we don't have margin in our lives. So it's, the question is, how do we see something? Ecclesiastes 1.8. We can throw that up. Give me a second here. It says, the eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. Meaning we'll just keep taking in of entertainment, of, uh, of just noise. A lot of us will we'll just keep seeking. But we need to cease from that so that we can pray as Psalm 139 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See, Jesus, when he talked about fasting in Luke 18, knows that it's not just about something that you follow. In fact, I think when Jesus asks, what do you want? It's Jesus saying he doesn't just care about our intellect. Jesus cares deeply about what is true because, in fact, he is the truth. But he, he doesn't just go around asking people, hey, what do you believe? What do you understand? What do you know? Instead, he's asking questions about longing. He's asking questions about desire. In Luke 18, when he talks about, um, he talks about this, Luke 18, verse 9. I don't remember if I have it in there or not. He also told them this parable to some who trust in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And remember, tax collectors were seen as bad people that worked with the Romans. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So it's not about adding another list to our, or another thing to a to-do list so that God will be happy. It's about humbling ourselves and seeing where we actually are. By if we press into God through prayer, we trust that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us are our longings the same as our knowledge? The things that we claim are important in our lives, is that actually what stacks up if you zoom out and you look at all the days that, that make a year? James K.A. Smith's a writer, and in his book, You Are What You Love, he talks about this, this kind of disconnect. He says, do you ever experience a gap between what you know and what you do? Have you ever found that new knowledge and information doesn't seem to translate into a new way of life? Ever had the experience of hearing an incredibly illuminating and informative sermon on a Sunday, waking up on Monday morning with new resolve and conviction to be different, and already failing by Tuesday night? You are hungry for knowledge, you thirstily drink up biblical ideas, you long to be Christ-like, yet all of that knowledge doesn't seem to translate into a way of life. It seems we can't think our way to holiness. Why is that? Is it because you forgot something? Is there some other piece of knowledge you still need to acquire? Is it because you're not thinking hard enough? Again, we're not divorcing the idea of what we know and what we do. What instead I'm asking is, is Jesus cares deeply about our habits. Because those moment to moment, day to day things, that's what builds our lives. When you zoom out, the years that you've lived are just made up of, of little moments. I've heard fasting talked about as an intensifier. It's a way that, that you embody a need, saying, God, I, I, I need more of you, or God, I need to understand something, or God, I'm going through something, and, 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 and I'm going to deny myself something, whether it's food or whatever, so that I can put more time and energy into seeking you. Again, it's ceasing something to seek someone. Kind of as a little bit of a New Year's resolution as a church, I wanted to take some time to center ourselves this morning on the letters that Jesus wrote to the church in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus speaks these letters that were then sent out to seven different churches, and we're going to read all seven of those letters this morning. 
Because if we're saying, well, we need to examine ourselves and we need to know if, if we actually are being formed into what Jesus wants, well, then we have to ask, what does Jesus want? Or if we have to say, Jesus cares about your habits, cares about your day-to-day, cares about your desires, Jesus wants to know what you want, well, we have to know what he wants. So we're gonna spend some time looking into the book of Revelation and we're not gonna be able to explain all the historical settings or every metaphor. Uh, We're just gonna take Jesus at his word and even if you don't understand every reference to the Old Testament, of which there's a bunch, there's just some clear words that Jesus has for us. I'm gonna have uh, Mike Budzik come up we're going to have three different people come up and share. After each person reads their passage, I'm going to comment on it a little bit, and then we're going to take some time to uh, pray and reflect. But uh, Mike is going to read from Revelation chapter 2 for us. And again, uh, one thing that happens at the end of every single letter that Jesus has, every single one of these seven letters, Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if we tune out right now, we're going to miss on what Jesus is calling us to. And again, it's not just denial, but it's a fuller life. This isn't just Jesus saying, I want to take things. I want you to fast to take things. He's like, I want you to have a fuller life in me. So I'm going to let Mike read words of Jesus from Revelation 2. Letters to the seven churches. <clears throat> the letter to Ephesus. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, And have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yet, you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the letter to Smyrna, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last... The one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil was about to throw some of you in prison to test you, and you experience affliction for ten days. Be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers conquers, will never be harmed by the second death. Thanks, Mike. Imagine hearing from someone you love, you've abandoned your love for me. See, when we talk about love culturally, we often talk about how we fall out of love. You know, I just don't love them anymore. I just, I just, you know, I just don't feel it. And I don't think that is a biblical understanding of love. I know what people are saying when they say that. I, I, I know what people, I think I understand what they're saying and what they have went through when they say that. But I don't think it is how the Bible talks about love. See, we talk about sometimes uh, culturally, you know, I've, I've, I've fallen out of love or, or sometimes we'll even talk about to kind of go further down the line. We'll say, you know, I mean, the heart wants what it wants or, or my heart just isn't for them anymore. I just don't love them anymore. It's as if the heart has its own mind and it just made it up one day and you've come to the realization, well, I don't love them anymore. See, what the Bible looks at is everything is about stewardship. Everything is about a covenant. So whether it's with God, 
whether it's the love you have for your spouse, whether it's the love you have for your kids, whether it's the love you have for neighbor that, that we're supposed to have as much as we love ourselves, whatever love it is, it's something that you steward. It's something that you care for. So Jesus doesn't come to them and say, hey, hey, uh, your church, Ephesus, you fell out of love with me. He says, no, you've abandoned it. Meaning your job was to steward it, to take care of it, not to establish it, not to perfect it. We're told that Jesus is the finisher and perfecter of our faith in Hebrews, but, but they're told you've abandoned it. Like, well, why are you a church anymore? Why are, why are you coming together? Especially back then when people were being killed left and right, depending on the city. Back in a time where if you're still anywhere that, that Rome was in charge of, they might literally put you on a stick to be a torch for their party in a garden. In a time where people are being slaughtered for Jesus' name, and he's saying, you don't even love me. It's like, what is, what is the point of going through all that persecution if you're not going to love me? Jesus says, you've actually abandoned that love. You've left it go. It's like a house that you were supposed to care for, you were supposed to do some upkeep with, and you've just let it to rot. It's abandoned, it's on the corner, no one cares about it anymore. That's how Jesus looks at love. I think that's how the Bible defines love. It's something that we care for, something that we steward. To Smyrna, the, really, uh, the second letter that Mike read, the last line really jumps out at me. Because Jesus doesn't just say that the one who holds on for dear life survives the second death. He doesn't just talk about persevering, but he actually says the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. And when you read the book of Revelation, if you haven't read it before, and if you just went home and you started reading it, there's a lot of things that happen. You're like, I don't know how I'm supposed to conquer anything that happens in this book. So it might be like, well, Jesus, if you just said we can cling on for dear life, uh, that might sound better. I mean, maybe you hear that and you're like, I don't know how to conquer things in my life. He tells us the Ephesians in, the, in that first letter when he said, we learned that the tree of life, the very paradise of God, eternity with God is given only to those who conquer. Jesus also tells uh, the church in Smyrna that, that they have to be careful who they fear. It reminds me of Jesus in Matthew says, don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So with each of these pairings of letters, I'm left with some questions for us. Questions I'm, I'm going to read to you, and then we're going to take a moment of silence before God to let him speak. I trust that as a church body, he will speak to us. And I also trust that in, a, in your time, of prayer, he'll speak to you. A few questions that come out of these letters. Have you abandoned your first love? Now, first means, it can mean a couple things. First can mean that when you come to know Jesus, that, that, that that's the first thing that happens. Is that giving your life to him and growing in, in love to him, and, and maybe it was just more of fear and submission originally, but, but growing in love to him is kind of the, is the first part of being a follower of Jesus. But first also in priority. Lead pastor at my last church, his kind of rallying cry would be the thing you'd, you, you know, when he'd say it, people like, yeah, you could repeat word for word, but, but he would always talk about how Jesus shouldn't be just a priority among many, but the priority in life. And Jesus is asking them, am I still your first love? So the question is, have we been our first love? Or maybe you're like, I haven't abandoned it, but have you attended and stewarded and cared for that love in the way you should? Fasting and a season of prayer is a way that we can better focus on Jesus and say, okay, maybe I haven't. Do we want to come to the point one day where we're like, I fell out of love with Jesus? Do we still do the works you did at first? Uh, Jesus tells the church, says, you don't do the works you did at first. Statistic, there's a lot of statistics out there about how the first five years of being a Christian is when you're most likely to share the gospel with anybody. Now, that's definitely not true for everybody. I'm, I'm sure it's not true for all of us in this room. But some of the studies point to those early few years or, or even those first few weeks and months when you first come to know Jesus and you're so excited, that's when you're going to go and tell people about Jesus. And even beyond evangelism, just our service for him, have, have we kept doing the works we did? Have we grown into that? Lastly, what might be God calling you to conquer? Maybe it's a sinful area, area of your life, something that you're like, I can't conquer this on my own. And that's why we're pressing in for these 21 days and really not and beyond that, 
pressing in saying there might be things that you can't do on your own and that's okay. The good news of the Bible is that you're not gonna conquer any of this on your own. It's by pressing in to the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna take a moment um, just to be silent and still before God. Let him speak to us. And again, I, I don't want these, these moments to be confined only to this morning. But I, I do want to do it together for a minute. And then I'm going to pray. And then if I can have Jason come up while I'm praying, we're going to hear the next letters from Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray this, we keep hearing from Revelation, that you would give us ears to hear, that your Holy Spirit would open up our ears. Lord, some of these questions that you've given us, have we abandoned our first love? And maybe, maybe all of us can rejoice and say we haven't, but, but I think we can at least ask ourselves and let you ask us, have we cared for it? Have we nurtured it as we should? Lord, I, I pray that you would show us ways in which we can do better. Lord, some of us might feel like there's things that need conquered in our lives. Things that we've tried to white knuckle our way through. And maybe things that we've been praying through for a while. Maybe we're not trying to do it on our own. We've brought them to you and we don't know how we can conquer them. Lord, I pray that through a period of really pressing in to know you more, to love you more, to know your word more, to, to grow into prayer. Lord, I pray that through that you would conquer things, you would break sin, uh, you, would, uh, you would protect us, that you'd make us look more like your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Write to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Thus says the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death among you where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit sexual adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will scatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So in those two letters, well, first of all, there, there's, there's a good bit of Old Testament references there that I don't have time to unpack completely, but in Numbers 22, 25, if you're a note taker, you can jot that down. That's when we learn about the Moab king, Balak, who hires a man named Balaam to, some of you know the story, to pronounce curses upon the Israelites. God prevents him from doing that. He's not able to. He actually, God forces him to speak blessings over the Israelites. But Balaam does succeed in working with the, the king Balak to... Long story short, they, they enticed the Israelite people into idol worship. 
They do this uh, mostly through prostitution. So they, they entice the Israelites uh, during their time in the wilderness in the book of Numbers into bowing down to idols, to worshiping pagan gods, to, to being part of these services, mostly so that they can sleep with prostitutes that are given to them. So it, it, can, be, it can be easy to read this and be like, well, I, don't, I mean, I'm not letting anyone put an idol up in my backyard and like let them pray to it, so I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. It, it can be easy to read some of these passages and say, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of that. Well, Jesus compares it to the Nicolaitans, who there's a lot of theories on what that means, but I think it's an, it was another people in the time, in this time where Jesus is saying they were doing something similar to that. It's people that are leading the church astray of Pergamum. So I think what it is is God saying that you're allowing false teaching that's letting you live in worldliness, that's, being, that's letting you live with sexual immorality, that's letting you live with some enticement of the world. The good news to Pergamum is that Jesus gives them the opportunity to repent. He says, I'm giving you time, which should tell us if there's even anything that we need to repent of, that we need to take God as word in James when he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The letter to Thyatira, something, some things that jumped out at me from that is, one, I think a lot of times when we talk about Jesus, we can mistakenly, maybe even subconsciously think he's the nicer, kinder version of God, like, oh, Old Testament God, you know, I don't know what happens there. But you get to Jesus and, and he's nicer and things get easier. But in youth group, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount and if you go home and read that, Jesus does not make things easier, he makes it harder. He comes to these people and he looks at all the rules that they would follow. You know, he, 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 he talks about you know, adultery, and he says things like, man, I say if you just look at someone with lust, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. And it's like, whoa, it's a lot harder, Jesus. And before, I just, I, I didn't have to do anything with the person, but now you're saying even to feel that way is sinful? So Jesus looks at the ways that we follow the letter of the law, and he says, no, I don't care about that. I care about the spirit in which those laws were made. In fact, he makes them so hard that only he can perfectly fulfill them. That only he can live up to those laws. So Jesus says to the church in Thyatira, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. You might be like me. Sometimes you read this like, uh, can I read another part of the Bible where Jesus is like, I love you. And there's a bunch of grace for you. Uh, sometimes you might read, you know, you get to some of these things like Sermon on the Mount. You get the book of Revelation. You get to, I mentioned Psalm 139 where it's like, search me, God. Know everything about me. Search my heart. Examine my works. And you're like, I don't know if I want to, uh, I don't know if I want to read that today. You know, you might jump to a familiar Psalm that you like or something. But again, God already knows all this stuff anyways. So us pressing into fasting, us pressing into prayer is just saying, God already knows whatever faults we have. God knows whatever is messed up and corrupt in us, and maybe it's not having an idol in your backyard, but he knows whatever things that we struggle with or that we've tolerated in our lives, and really this season is just about us coming before God and saying, look, you know it all anyway, so could you conquer these things for me? Could I cling so close to you that you would eradicate this from my life? So a couple questions. Do you tolerate anything in your life that you shouldn't? And then secondly, Jesus talks about Thyatira's last works being greater than the first. Is that true for us? Are we continually growing in our works? He, he, he uh, commended that church for saying that your last works, what you're doing now is better than what you did before. I don't know how long you've known Jesus, but what you're doing, what you're doing for his kingdom in the here and now, is that growing compared to what it was years ago? questions for us to come before the God, uh, before God. Let's pray. While we're praying, um, I could have Gracie come up and get ready to read our next bit. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know it's tough to read some of these passages that are about you knowing everything and examining our minds and our hearts, but again, you know it all anyways. Lord, I pray that even in this moment you'd show us ways, things in our life that you'd rather we just move on from. Or maybe things that we haven't given over to you before. Things that we've tolerated that we shouldn't. I know the Apostle Paul even says all things are permissible but not necessarily beneficial. Lord, I pray that you would use our time of fasting and prayer to really work on our hearts.
And not just so that we can deny things for denial's sake, but so that we can have a fuller, more abundant life in you. Knowing that you say, come to me all who are weak and weary and I will give you rest. Lord, we pray for that rest in you in Jesus' name. The letter to Sardis. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels." Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The letter of Philadelphia. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have put You have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you, because you have kept my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on his, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, in my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. to the church in Sardis hits pretty hard. Right at the beginning of that letter, Jesus says, I know your works, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Imagine if Jesus showed up in a church, in our church, and said anything like that. But the fact that Jesus would come to them and say, look, I know what your reputation is, but I look at your works and it's dead. I pray that, I pray, and what I know, it's not the truth here. But Jesus gives warnings to everyone. We're going to get to Philadelphia in a minute, who seemingly didn't do anything wrong, but still gets warned. But in Sardis, there's a question that he gives that I know I can't hear enough of. Right after he tells them that their works are dead, that their church is dead, he says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. So he says, remember what you have received. What they have received is the good news in Jesus, that that salvation comes only through Jesus, that eternity in heaven only comes through Jesus, that Jesus is what life is all about. They've heard it and they've received it. And he said, now I need you to keep it, which means that something active has to happen. So if you come here every Sunday knowing that you've received and you've heard. If you leave it there, that's not enough. Jesus says, are you keeping it? So maybe, you, maybe you've heard the gospel over and over. And in the same way earlier that, that I said, it's not only about intellect, it's about life change. You can, you can come here and, and you can hear facts and you can learn a lot and you can be like, it can be like the, the vacuum podcast where you're like, man, I learned a lot today. I'm going to go tell people about that vacuum and the technology. But if we're not pressing in to experience God, both here when we're together and outside, when we're in our homes and, and groups and when we're in our homes, in our rooms by ourselves, 
If we're not pressing in to actually experience and know who Jesus is, that's where the keeping it happens. Look, Jesus says, look, yeah, you've heard it, but you're dead because you haven't kept it. You haven't actually clung to me. You've just heard the good news and you received it, which means they probably received it with joy. He doesn't say that they reject it. He says you received it. But now he says you haven't kept it. So he tells them keep it and repent. So re, 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 meaning apologize, but more than apologize, turn away. So, so come to me and say, all right, I'm dead, but I need you to bring life into me through your spirit. Again, Jesus talks about conquering. And I'll be honest with you, I, I have no hope of conquering things in my life without God at work in me. There's so many times in my life where I've had to come to Jesus and say, I can't do this unless you do it. And there's been a couple times where things have happened instantaneously. And then there's been times where it hasn't, or it's been seasons of coming back before God. All right, if you, if you were the, in the church of Philadelphia and you get your letter and then you, you meet someone from one of these other churches and you're like, hey, did you get that letter from John that he wrote on behalf of Jesus? And Philadelphia, he doesn't rebuke for anything. You're like, yeah, it was pretty nice. Jesus said, like, we're, we're a little weak and, and, and worn down, but, but if we can just hold on, we're, we're gonna keep our crown. And like, oh. And if you're from Sardis, you're like, that's not what Jesus' letter said to us. You know? If you're from any of these other churches, you're like, yeah, our letter was a little more harsh. It was a little more direct, uh, a little more firm than, than that letter. But with, even with Philadelphia, who doesn't have anything like, he, he's not getting on them about sexual morality or false teaching. He doesn't say they're dead. But he still says, and he says, you've kept my command to endure. But he, so he doesn't rebuke them, but he does leave them with a warning. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. So he still tells even the church of Philadelphia, who doesn't have these problems, they're not dead. Uh, seemingly they haven't lost their first love, but he still says, hold on to what you have. So a couple questions I got out of these letters. Are we actively seeking to keep what we have heard? Are we actually living in an alert life, a life that's focused on eternal things, not just the worries of day to day? Not that they're not legitimate, not that they're not hard, not that God doesn't care about them, but are we actually looking at eternity? Are we seeking to cling to Jesus in our daily lives and holding on tight to what we have? Again, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would show us what it means to keep what we have received. And I think for all of us, every single person in this room, we can be more active in keeping and clinging to you. Lord, I trust that even now you're showing us ways that we can cling to you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, lastly. I wanted to read Revelation 3, 14 through the rest of the chapter. Just one letter to Laodicea, Laodicea. I'll say it probably three different ways when I'm reading. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Ten years ago, this passage wrecked my life. I was um, reading a book that someone gave to me. It's called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Some of you read it. And, and really, the, the book is great. But it wasn't the book that wrecked me. It was, it was Francis pointing to the strength of Revelation 3.16. For you either hot nor cold, I am about to, at the time I read it, spit out of my mouth. And this translates as vomit out of my mouth. Again, if you're in the church in Philadelphia and you're talking to Laodicea and like, hey, 
Let's compare notes on your letter. Oh, Jesus told me I'm gonna, he's going to vomit us out of his mouth. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, he just told us to hold on to the crown. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's very different. But, but I, I, read that, I read that crazy love book. And, and, and again, good book. But as I said in my last sermon, a good Christian writer is someone who makes me go further into Scripture. That, 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 so that, that's the way that they're really any helpful. And I remember... Um, I think I read that book over a day or two whenever I wasn't working. And I remember in my room, still at my parents' house, uh, I was just laying in bed reading this. And I remember being like terrified by that passage. I mean, uh, I'm a big coffee drinker. I love hot forms of coffee, cold uh, forms of coffee. I could tell you a bunch of uh, either kinds, but you probably don't care. But I'll, I'll leave it this. Uh, it's, it's good hot. It's good cold. What I don't ever want is lukewarm. If you go to Starbucks and you're like, here's your lukewarm latte, you're like, no, no, I didn't order that. Please make it again. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, like, look, a hot drink could be refreshing. A cold drink could be refreshing depending on the weather, but but you're lukewarm. Jesus is saying, you're not what I wanted. Like I died to create these churches and, and he's telling this church, you're not even what I wanted. He's saying, you're lukewarm. Like, I mean, I mean, Talk about being on fire for Jesus. He's like, no, that's not what's going on here. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, that this was a port city. Uh, it, was, it was a wealthy city known for having a lot of people that were merchants and traders. And it was known for having a lot of wealth, which is why Jesus talks about, hey, you, you think you're rich. He said, but you're, you're wretched, you're naked, you're blind. Jesus says, hey, I, you, you might want to buy some gold off me that will actually make it through the fire because you think your wealth is going to, means your, your church is doing well and it's not. He says, you don't have anything because you're so lukewarm. So I remember reading this and, and, and that led to, to times at an altar where, where I'm praying and I've said before, but some of those early prayers, like 18, 19 years old, where God, I'm ready to submit my life. And I don't even know what that means but I'm just going to, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know what, what all that entails, but, but I'm here. I, I, I don't want you to vomit out of your mouth just at the sight of me. I don't want you to look at me and say, you're lukewarm. The encouraging thing, though, is he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. I think in some translations it says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So it's not that Jesus came to these churches like, I hate all of you. Instead, instead, this is a chance. Every letter ends with, whoever can hear, let them hear. Whoever has ears, let them listen to what I'm saying. He, he's given people chances to repent. He's given them chances to change their life. The questions I was left with this is, are we lukewarm? And if we are, then we repent and we seek a further work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The last question I had is, are we listening to the knocks of Jesus at the door of our lives? Jesus said in that last letter, I'm going to come and I'll knock at the door and whoever ever opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with them. And, and what's still true today, but definitely back then, was to eat with someone was fellowship with someone. That's why the Pharisees get mad at him because he's eating with who they deemed were sinners and, and drunkards and, and you know, whoever else. That's why they got so mad. They're like, you don't eat with those people. That means that you love them. That means that you're showing them fellowship. And Jesus says in this letter, whoever answers the door when I knock, I'm going to come in. I'm going to have dinner. So again, he's not coming to all these churches and saying, you've all messed up. It's over. Instead, he comes to all of us and says, there is time to repent. The question that we're left with is, do we listen and obey? And again, Sometimes reading this stuff, it's like, uh, uh, can, um, what can we talk about next week? Like, maybe something calm, like Jesus loves the little children. You know, like, uh, let's, what are some calm Bible stories that, that we can go back to? But again, the good news is that Jesus has already been the finisher and perfecter of our faith. He's already died to stop anything that we can't conquer. What he's repeatedly asking in these letters, I think, is some sort of variation of what do you want? He tells some of them, you don't want me. You don't want to actually serve me because you don't do it anymore. You don't really want to be a church. You're just people that meet together. I think those are the same sorts of questions that he is asking us. So I'm going to 
pray here before I uh, dismiss you guys. And I'm left thinking of uh, the end of Philippians where Paul says, may the grace of Jesus our Lord be with your spirit. Just again, this isn't so we can come together and be like, oh man, we've all really messed up. Well, maybe we have, but it's to come and say, hey, let's spend 2020 and beyond, but let's spend some of this fasting and prayer time. Again, not denial for denial's sake, but ceasing some things so that we can seek Jesus in a new way. And again, not, this isn't just because you owe him something. I'm saying that literally I, what I truly believe is when you press into Jesus, you have even better life now. It's not just about that better life, but, but, but he, he says, I'm, I'll take your burdens. I'll take what makes you weary and I'll give you rest if you just focus on me. So let's take a minute that we'll be still before him and I'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I pray that we do walk out of here with the grace of the Lord Jesus in our spirit. Not so that we can shrug off anything that you're speaking to us. Lord, I do pray that if you're knocking at the doors of our hearts right now, if if your Holy Spirit has maybe brought a couple things to our mind, maybe things that that we could change or, or, or things that we could give up or things that we could cease, either temporarily or maybe it's something we need to cease forever. Lord, I pray that you give us grace to do that. Lord, that you'd work on our hearts, that, that we leave here encouraged. Lord, that we would leave here ready to press in for a deeper life with you, Jesus. Father, I know that in my last sermon, I, I talked about how if we're actually going to love you with all our heart, our soul, and our strength, and actually make a changing difference not even in the world, but just even in the town around us, that it's going to require you working on our hearts. That we're only going to love you with all our heart, our soul, and our strength, and actually love neighbors like ourselves if you keep working on our hearts. So Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us with, with grace, would fill us for the longing for you. And Lord, anything that we could bring before you, you already know anyways. So Lord, I pray that we'd spend some time pressing into you just... Just bringing ourselves, saying, God, I, I, I need you. There's things I need you to change. There's burdens I need you to take away. Trusting, Lord, I know that sometimes it's instantaneous and sometimes it's not, but either way, we trust you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So go forth today. Again, not just remembering the things that Jesus rebukes for, but Again, what he says in that last letter is, I rebuke those whom I love. So it is actually, it might not always feel the way, but it's a good thing. Saying, Jesus saying, look, I'm giving you a, a chance to just come to me and accept a deeper life with me and to press forward. And we'll take care of the things that I don't like if you keep coming to me. Not, but if you abandon me, that's not how it works. So take some time, maybe pray to God, maybe you need some things that you need to, to cease from so that you can seek him more. Dismissed.